This is A Fresh Agenda. Conversations to connect your productivity and creativity and generate your deepest work. Here's your host, Christina Mendonza. This is A Fresh Agenda where we talk with innovators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. I'm Christina Mendonza. Welcome to this tiny spot in the podcast universe. I'm glad to have you here for a while. This podcast is about having some deeper and more positive conversations on topics of creativity and motivation to explore how people create or build their businesses or innovate in their industries. This is episode number 75, and we're going to talk today to Lisa Thee. She is the founder of an AI startup that focuses on child safety. Her company leverages technology to address child sexual abuse and child pornography and violence in schools. So I interviewed her for her company, Bark, which is an app that schools and parents use throughout the country to scan and alert for inappropriate, dangerous, or concerning activity online, specifically when it is initiated by the child. So a kid talks about violence against others or himself, sends inappropriate or sexual or violent content to someone else, and Bark is able to scan for it, track it, and notify someone. It's a very timely topic with that school shooting in Santa Clarita. Just like every other case, they could only connect the dots looking backward. There were social media clues, but no one found them until after the school shooting. So we're gonna talk about how Bark tries to catch these clues before there is violence. It is an interesting business, but even more interesting to me is how she got there, what she saw, what she experienced that brought her to this place and this product. So that's what we're chatting about today. But first, I wanna download some of the amazing conversations from an event I emceed this week. It was a first ever women's conference. It was in Folsom. But really, it was a regional event that drew about 300 women business leaders for this all-day conference that included a keynote with the former editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan magazine, Kate White. Uh, She is also a New York Times bestselling author of 14 mystery novels and her nonfiction books, The Gutsy Girl's Handbook, and I Shouldn't Be Telling You This. Now, I've interviewed Kate for this podcast. It was episode 66, by the way, if you want to go back and listen. I've read several of her mystery novels, so fun, and I purchased uh, two of her nonfiction books for my daughters, which I'm reading before I send them to them. So they're full of great professional advice. In fact, I just opened the Gutsy Girl Handbook randomly to one page to see if I could find you something, and here's a gem. The key Gutsy Girl takeaways. Ask the four Bs about every idea or project. Can it be better, bigger, bolder, or more badass? Beware of wet blanket people who try to water down your bold ideas or discourage them. If you're a leader, allow your subordinates to see what a big, bold idea could mean for them and never stop being a rule breaker. So that's just one super quick one-page example of the kind of conversations we were having at yesterday's event. And I know they plan on doing this every year. So if you are in the Sacramento area, be watching for the HER event to start advertising next summer in Folsom. HER stands for Hustle, Elevate, and Renew. And thanks to my company, iHeartMedia, we were one of the founding sponsors. So I'm super proud that my company uh, took an interest in this and wanted to support women in this way. Okay. So before we get to Lisa, I want to tell you about a new project I'm involved with that I'm really excited about, and it directly pertains to today's show. This company is called MyCEcourse.com. They produce educational documentaries for mandatory training. Now, I've worked with them on several. We've done sexual harassment, cannabis law, 
OSHA requirements, and now the most impactful one they've done so far. It's on human trafficking. It is riveting. It offers real solutions and tips to spot and report human trafficking. This is training for restaurant and hospitality workers, hotel employees, truck stop employees, for airports and casinos, anyone who would possibly witness someone being moved or transported or under the influence of a trafficker. MyCEcourse.com is a multimedia education option for state compliance, professional growth and engagement. Think of it as the antidote to that boring mandatory training that most people skim through. These are actual films with full state and professional standards compliance done in a masterclass style with amazing production and often at a lower price. So go to MyCEcourse.com to check out the trailers and pricing options. Okay, now time to get to our interview with Lisa Thee, what she saw overseas that made her pivot from a very successful corporate high-tech job to using technology to save lives. Lisa joins me now, Vice President of Strategic Partnerships for Bark. Thank you very much for being my guest today. Thank you for having me. I want to talk to you. You and I had a chance to get together and have coffee and and chat. And you told me a story that was chilling about uh, the fact that you were going through your life as this high-tech executive, and you happened to be traveling overseas and saw something that disturbed you so deeply that it changed your entire paradigm. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so I had the privilege of visiting 36 countries before the age of 30 as a IT manager for a large multinational tech company. And during those trips, it was often um, indistinguishable between myself and the flight attendants and sometimes the, the people that were also available for hire uh, for company in some of those business hotels. And since I blended in, uh, being a, a young person, people acted very natural in their environment. Uh, so my first trip overseas was to Singapore. I was really excited to visit a company, uh, country that spoke English. I thought I could uh, blend in well there. And during that trip, uh, it had been a couple days uh, since I had had an opportunity to talk to someone. And so when someone got on the elevator, clearly coming from the spa location, uh, they um, were still dressed in the bathrobe. It's very clear that they had just gotten a massage. I asked the gentleman if the services were good there. And he replied back, yes. And it was a very normal exchange. And I got off the elevator at my designated floor and walked to my room, which was far out of eyeshot of the elevator. Uh, Later that evening, uh, I had ordered some food uh, for room service. And so when I got a knock on the door, I thought, oh, I'll just open the door. No big deal. Uh, I was expecting someone. And when I did, uh, I was presented with the same gentleman in the same bathrobe, who was looking for some company that evening and wondering what I charged. Boy, what a way to go from being elated to be promoted into this leadership position in a a tech company after working really hard over all those years to being deflated to somebody perceived as available for hire by the hour. Uh, It was a really humbling experience. Um, And in my travels beyond that, what really got to my core and my heart was seeing how many young children are being subjected to that kind of treatment in these kinds of countries. When I visited Malaysia, um, I was in a, a nightclub at midnight on a Tuesday night, and I just don't think you ever recover fully from seeing 
a seven-year-old child being dressed up like Julia Roberts' character from Pretty Woman, uh, available for sale, being walked around by an adult. It just changes your lens um, from a very U.S.-based, ethnocentric point of view that we protect children to a more global and broad lens of recognizing that we have more slaves globally today than we did we ever have in history. Uh, and they split between labor trafficking and sex trafficking, and we have a lot more work to do in terms of defending the dignity of people. So when you saw that um, overseas, did you feel like, okay, these are isolated incidents that I'm seeing, or did you ever, when did you get a sense that this was a broad, uh, a broader problem than what you were seeing right in front of your eyes? Yeah, I think I have the luxury of perceiving this as something happening over there. And I think that's a commonly held belief that this is a problem of people that are coming up in third world countries. When I was uh, exposed to a PBS documentary called A Path of Peers from Nicholas Christofferson in 2015, what became very clear was that this is very much a problem happening everywhere, including our backyards. Uh, So I started to do a little bit more research as I opened my eyes about the problem of sex trafficking domestically. And what I learned was in California, based on Camilla Harris's report from 2012, that 72% of human trafficking victims in, in California are actually products of our foster care and social services system which makes a lot of sense. People that are uh, trafficking people for profit are in this as a business arrangement. They don't see them much different than drugs or guns or any other item that you would traffic. Uh, The benefit of trafficking humans is that you can sell them up to 20 times a day. And unfortunately, the business model of trafficking children is that they often don't expect to receive any compensation besides shelter and food in exchange for the arrangement. Uh, It's significantly more profitable for the traffickers. So when I learned that a lot of what's happening all around me every day, the invisible became visible, and it inspired me to want to see what I could do in my daily life to advocate on behalf of those who have no voice. So um, I've interviewed you before, and we've actually I've actually done stories on uh, your product, Bark, uh, which is a fabulous product to help uh, parents and schools keep their children safe and and improves the safety of the digital world for young people. But I want to talk to you more about your journey. So you 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 figured this out. You saw this. It kind of stuck in your heart and your brain. What made you leave a very good job to follow <laughs> that, uh, that, that new passion, that new sense of mission? Tell me about that turning point for you, that pivot. Sure. So it was a, a slow pivot at first and then a, a fastly accelerated one. So when I was working in tech, uh, we were, I was seeing that Intel was applying leading-edge technologies like machine learning algorithms and artificial intelligence to help with the problem of addressing cancer treatment and making sure that treatments were more personalized to have better outcomes. So when I was made aware of the problems of domestic trafficking and started to look at ways that we're using these leading-edge technologies to apply to improving the lives of people that are needing health care, 
I wondered if there was some cross-pollination that could happen there. And so it started off very small and simple with a team of experts and things that I didn't know as much about uh, coming together and looking at the problem set and seeing if there was any key learnings we could transfer. We also found a startup in the area called Marinus Analytics that was an offshoot of Carnegie Mellon that was using artificial intelligence technology to aid law enforcement in the acceleration of recovery of human trafficking victims online. And so we worked with them to help integrate and accelerate their recovery of people in need of help by integrating image technology that we had learned from other places uh, to enhance their product. Uh, and I saw in that experience a, a young woman who was a CEO and a founder that had accomplished more in her five-year career than I felt I had accomplished in terms of social impact and footprint in my 15-year career. And it was a very humbling experience of, yes, I've been successful, but is my ladder on the right building? Does this really call to me? And so it, it started as a passion project. It was something that I did on my nights and weekends uh, as an employee with my day job uh, to start building technology solutions to address some of the problems of online abuse of children and human trafficking of children in, in the real world. And eventually, we were able to get it to be a fully funded project, and it became my day job. Um, and when we got to the point where we delivered a solution for our partners with Thorn National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and we had brought some of our best technology to bear, it was clear that uh, we were going to be moving on to the next problem set because the company was a for-profit company. They're not a social work arm. And they had met all of their commitments and, and made a significant contribution to this problem. Uh, but it was very clear to myself that I had changed through this process of becoming an entrepreneur and bringing new ideas to the table and finding the funding and finding the sponsorship. And I wanted to use those skills outside the company to continue the fight to make my own social footprint. So a friend of mine from Apple called uh, after the iPhone 10 launched and said, hey, I'm not under non-disclosure anymore. There's an AI accelerator chip in the iPhone 10 that will help with facial recognition. What can we do together to help improve outcomes for children um, that are making lifelong mistakes without real in a 30-second decision? Really, how do we start disrupting the problem of child-generated child pornography, which doesn't sound like it should be a large issue, but through our work with our partners, what we had learned was in 2018, there were 45 million images submitted to, from large tech companies in the public to law enforcement of child pornography distribution that needed follow-up for legal action. And 40% of those images were generated by children themselves. So we started with the mission of making the smartphone really earn its title of actually being smart and recognizing when a device is, out, is for a child and they're taking explicit images that it needs to be blocked at the source. And that was the birth of Minor Guard, our company, and my step from being an 18-year-old, 18-year tech company veteran into the new wild west of being a CEO, founder, and chairman of the board of a startup. 
Where did you go for mentorship on that? I mean, you had the you you knew the technology, you knew how to pull together the team, and you knew what you wanted to accomplish. But there are so many things about building a business that until you're actually in it, you don't know. Where did you turn for mentorship on actually building the structure of your business? Yes, uh, great question. You all of a sudden, in one day, you get promoted to the head of legal, the head of HR, the head of finance, and the lead janitor and lead IT tech. Uh, when you are the owner of the company and you're a small and mighty team, uh, that means you have uh, a lot of responsibilities that were just magically handled by other people in past lives. Uh, so I started with some self-education. Uh, there are some podcasts I really recommend and uh, have found a lot of value in. The first is Masters of Scale from Reed Hoffman. Uh, it really highlights uh, founders that have scaled their companies into incredible businesses and their journeys along the way. I also really enjoyed the startup podcast from Gimlet Media that uh, also had really good insight into founder stories, which helped me to normalize my experiences because the life of a founder, uh, you can have the best day and the worst day separated by about three hours on any given day. (laughs) There's a lot of (laughs) emotional roller coaster to that. In addition, I was able to recruit an advisory board uh, and a board of directors to help guide me that had more experience in this space. So some of those people were uh, angel investors and seed investors in the company itself. Some were professors of entrepreneurship at local colleges that had been seasoned entrepreneurs. Some were subject matter experts in the fields and the markets that we were planning to enter into with our, our pilot products. And some were technical experts in the technology itself. And so by having a well-rounded team of variants of expertise and commitment to put sweat equity into the company, I was able to round out a place where when I had a question, I had someone to go to. Um, And the last piece that I think is really critical for anyone that's thinking about launching their own business is find a really great lawyer and a really great CPA uh, because if law and finances are not your domain expertise, which in my case, they're not. I'm an engineer with a lot of sales background. Uh, It was incredibly important to have the right rudders so that as I set up my systems, they were built to succeed. Uh, So in the case of when we eventually got to having to do due diligence of of transitioning the company to new ownership, we had all of our ducks in a row. (laughs) Wow. So, okay, give me a low point and a high point since you launched your own business. Sure. A high point of launching my own business was actually after we merged the business with Bark. And that was a call from a school district that we had piloted with, um, letting us know that there was a student there that had written a suicide note in their Google Doc. And if we hadn't come together with Bark, that student probably wouldn't still be at the school to participate, knowing that we directly changed the path and prevented trauma for not only that child, but everyone that loves that child, really started to sink into my soul of the gravity of how important it is when you see a problem to rise to the occasion, especially as a mother of two children myself. Uh, that really touched me. Wow. Uh, I, 
Yeah, I think a low point um, in our journey was when uh, we had developed our beta t- beta product and we were ready to prototype it. And uh, we had a meeting with my co-founder's former employer, and they notified us that uh, because of the technology that we had to use in order to get our product onto the phone system, that we were building a potentially competing product to them in the future, and it may have problems being uploaded to the app store. That was a really humbling and uh, sad day for me, mm-hmm. and it felt like in that moment that it was a obstacle that was not we were not able to overcome. Uh, but as in most things in life, and the best thing I've learned from launching my business along this journey is that persistence is key. Failure is the most important component. You learn from every step you take, and not all risks will pay off, but they're just closer to the end game. And I wish. I could go back to that moment and give myself a little bit of comfort because at the time it felt like it was a year of, of wasted effort. Wow. Wow. That's a, gosh, that's such a great insight because, you know, I know that people listening to this are in various stages of perhaps building their business or thinking about it. And to know that you could get through one of those low points uh, and that there is always an answer to the question. It just wasn't readily available there for you at that time. And to be able to, you know, want to go back and give yourself comfort in that moment. Um, that's that's a huge insight. What, what, what do you think is the most important quality of someone who wants to do this, not you know, not even necessarily a high tech company, but any sort of industry, any sort of uh, calling that they may have, where they feel like I need to have a larger social impact using the skills that I currently have. What is the most important quality? I think the most important quality is to be able to create a vision that inspires others to join you on your mission. I don't think that anybody is ever successful as a one man band. Uh, we are. My, my mission in life is to collect experts in all the areas that I lack and be able to contribute and give as much as I can to those people in the places that I'm strong so that we can build cohesive teams and really find solutions that make everybody succeed. And I think that that is the best gift you can give as a leader is to look for where you can serve your team uh, and find ways to help bring out the best in everyone you surround yourself with. Um, We had people that worked for us building our website. We had people that worked for us uh, running our social media feeds. We had people that uh, were promoting our business on our behalf and doing testimonials about how it's changed our lives. A lot of those people were people I've known for decades. And they were happy to help in those ways. I think that when you focus on service and a greater good and being a strong leader that people can follow that understands business and recognizes that you're not a nonprofit and you have to build in a sustainable and scalable way that meets a market fit, you can revolutionize industries that have historically only optimized for dollars and start optimizing for uh, new variables like improving the human condition. 
So I, I don't know how old you are, and I'm not going to ask, but you had already been in high tech for like a decade or two, right, before you started this business? Because we usually think Correct. of people who take these bold, um, you know, these these bold steps to start their own business as people who are really young. I mean, you, I mean, you look at the Mark Zuckerbergs, and you look at some of these really young CEOs, particularly of high-tech companies. They are young, and they are men. So um, at this stage of the game, when you already had a couple of kids, and, you know, a, a marriage had gone on for a while, and a career that had gone for a, on for a while, did it all, at all intimidate you to make this pivot? Well, I think everybody has to look at their own circumstances and play to their strengths. So one of the strengths that existed in my life was, even though I grew up in the Midwest and startups was a very foreign concept to me, my husband happened to grow up in the heart of Silicon Valley. And so he had been urging me for a while to do something like this. I'm more of a risk-adverse type. It's just not my temperament, Um, whereas he had a lot of confidence that if we really went all in, we could make something of this. Um, So I think I credit a lot of the bravery to go off and say, I'm going to sacrifice the paycheck. I'm going to sacrifice the stability. I'm going to sacrifice the brand of working for a big company and people knowing what I'm doing. Uh, I credit to the support that I have between my family, my community of coworkers that believed in the vision, uh, the people that rose to the occasion to provide us seed funding, uh, the people that were mentors of mine that I begged to talk me out of doing this that were like, yeah, if I'm at your funeral, we say she had this great idea, but she never tried it. How are you going to feel? Those are the people that nudged me over the edge of fear. And I think that you can't figure out who you're going to grow into until you remove some of those safety comforts. And I'm really grateful that everyone rose to the occasion to help me get out of my own way because I think most of us talk to ourselves internally uh, much harsher than we would ever talk to anyone else in the real world. Uh, And it's not about feeling like you're ready for it. I think sometimes it's doing and the feelings follow later. Great insight. So I ask all this of all of my guests, um, and I know that you are a tightly um, scheduled woman. <laughs> I know that just from <laughs> just from knowing you, just the short time I have, um, our our coffee meeting was preceded, and you had meetings right after, you know. And I know that just now when I called you, you were you were finishing up a meeting. So I know you're tightly scheduled, but when you need to unplug because you need to uh, work up some creative energy for your business or your life. What do you do to unplug and to kind of tap in to your creativity? Yeah, well, I have a few rituals uh, that I do, and a lot of them are actually tied to external accountability to help me not sacrifice them. Uh, The first thing that I did was I got a puppy, And he requires a two-mile walk every day. And so that requires me to get out of my chair and get some fresh air and be present in the moment. And that's really helpful. Uh, I also have a mindfulness practice that I do. Uh, I use uh, some apps to help me with that that track my progress. Um, But I noticed that I was slacking a little bit on my own accountability for doing my mindfulness practice, which I know returns me to my creative spaces. 
Um, and so I've enlisted my children with this really awesome app called Stop, Breathe, Think. And now we both have special one-on-one time where they get to choose what mindfulness uh, video that we do uh, together each day. And that really helps me to make sure that it, it's not something that gets sacrificed due to work or school or all the other things that need to be managed around the house. Um, my husband and I like to go to the gym together, uh, even though we don't necessarily do the same exercises. There's something about saying, get in the car, we're all going, that is helpful. Uh, but I learned the hard way earlier in the stage of my career that when you are only depleting your bucket and you're not refilling your bucket, uh, you can do that for a while, uh, but burnout's a real thing. And it's really easy to lie to yourself that you're being effective when you really don't have much more to give, uh, especially as a working mom and uh, a business owner. It's really easy to put yourself on the back burner because nobody's going to yell at you if you don't do the things you need to do for yourself. Uh, but with that said, you're no good to anyone else if you're not grounding yourself in your own internal creativity and wisdom. You're just going through the motions and people can feel it that you're skimming in all your interactions. Wow. Great. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for your time. Uh, tell us uh, where people can reach out to you um, and and where they find you. Sure. Uh, so I'm most reachable by, on LinkedIn. Uh, so you can find me at Lisa Fee on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also follow some of the work we're doing with Bark at www.bark.us. And if you're anything like me, parenting digital natives as a digital immigrant and just trying to keep up with how do you stay up to speed with the Snapchats and the Viscos and the Instagrams and what you need to do to be an awesome parent in the digital age, I recommend checking out the Facebook group Parenting in a Tech World. Um, there's a lot of open dialogue about how to handle some of the things that are happening. And if nothing else, it will normalize your experience in your home by seeing everybody else is dealing with it too. Um, I'm a huge fan of staying engaged in the digital lives of your children, and I highly recommend checking out uh, monitoring solutions that allow you to have the right conversations at the right time as your children are being exposed to things in the digital age that we're in so that you can be there to be that third rail and help them from crossing over between affordable mistakes and life-altering mistakes. So I really encourage people to check out Bark. Uh, I picked them as the company to sell my company to because I really believed in what they're doing. Great. Entrepreneur founder, Lisa Thee, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with the dynamic Lisa Thee. She is intense. I just love her spirit. I met her for coffee a few months ago. You heard me talk about that. Walked up to the coffee shop. She was obviously on the phone orchestrating a huge meeting. Uh, When we had our conversation, she was back on it, running concurrent projects, reaching out to her team around the country, definitely living her calling and an amazing entrepreneur. You can check out her product, Bark, at the Bark website, which is bark.us. On my next podcast, how would you like to live forever? Or at least until 120. A lot of people say, no way. But if you could live that long and be healthy and feel great, would that appeal to you? It's not science fiction. According to Dr. David Sinclair, it is science fact, and it's coming faster than we realize. Sinclair is the Harvard PhD who has been working on longevity for decades. He wrote an amazing book called Lifespan, 
Uh, I read the book, I've done the interview, and I'll be producing that show next. We had a fascinating conversation about the science behind aging on longevity. He says there are three age clocks that all of us have, two of which we can control, he says. He's going to tell us how and how his work is cracking the code on that third age clock so all of us can live longer and live healthier lives. That's the tease for the upcoming A Fresh Agenda. Thanks again for being here. Don't forget, for your mandatory training needs, check out mycecourse.com. They have a brand new human trafficking film for compliance and training. It is the training company of preference for many government agencies and companies. That's mycecourse.com. And don't miss the KFBK Morning News, Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. Sam Shane and me, we're just two journalists with about six decades of news experience between us talking about the news with you. It's a very different morning news program. Perspective, depth, analysis, and fun. So if you're in the Sacramento area, it is 93.1 FM or 1530 AM or worldwide on the iHeartRadio app under KFBK. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Christina Mendonca. This has been A Fresh Agenda. Let's stay connected. Conversations to connect your productivity and creativity. This is A Fresh Agenda. (laughs) 